pray. I think we need to pray over this this morning. Father, I thank you for every single precious person in this room. I thank you for all we've been through together. I thank you, Father, for all the good times. And thank you, Father, that we've stayed strong through the challenging times. But Lord, I ask, Lord, that this word now would, would really <clears throat> go deep into all of our hearts and that we would find um, a, a, not just a glimpse, but a, a really big view into the way you want us to live and move and have our being. Father, I pray that it would help some to change the way they think. It would help some to change the way they speak. It would help us all to make a decision to be a real disciple of Jesus Christ and not just a church attender. Father, I ask that in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Romans 5, if you've got a Bible with you, turn to Romans 5. I'm going to be looking at a lot of scriptures this morning, and I'm going to put them on the screen for you. So if you've not got a Bible, you can follow them with me. But it's great to look at them in a Bible as well. Most of the scriptures I'm going to look at are from the English Standard Version, which is a great version of the Bible. And um, some of them are, are large uh, passages and some of them are short passages. So if you see a, a lot of a big passage on the screen, don't go, oh, you know, it's only a passage of scripture and we can look at it together, okay? So first one, I just want to introduce the message first of all. And the title of the message is, you must decree it in order to see it. You must decree it in order to see it. Say that to the person next to you. You must decree it in order to see it. You must decree it in order to see it. This is the way God works, guys. This is the way God works. He decrees it. He sees it in his heart. He decrees it. Then he sees it in the physical realm. And I really believe that we've got to come out of and I think it's been a real hallmark of what I've been trying to speak for the last five years, come out of this fatalistic view of ourselves as a, almost a pawn in a game between God and the devil, and we can't really do much, but God's in control, so it'll all pan out in the end. Actually, we've got to be more proactive than that. We've got to be a lot more proactive than that. And I believe being a disciple of Jesus is to be much more proactive than have that mindset that I've just described. You know, some people are derisory about teachings, that uh, faith teachings or grace teachings. They're derisory about the word of faith, that, and they make statements like, oh, you're not one of those blab it and grab it bunches, name it and claim it bunches. And, we, we, you know, we have this derisory term for a certain group of people in the Christian church. But what I say this, I, I, I'm in good company because God blabs it and grabs it, and God names it and claims it. If you read the Bible with any eyes open, you'll find that's the way God works. Not in a presumptuous way, from a way of great love in his heart and, and, and faith in us. You know, one of the things that we need to grasp at this Christmas season is not how much we can buy or how much we can eat, but grasp how much, how much God believes in you and me. That he would believe so much in a human being, a 15-year-old girl, to bring him into the earth. Believe in, a, in, a, in, in one man who probably felt rejection because he felt that perhaps this girl had gone off with somebody else and, and Joseph, but believed in Joseph enough to take care of his own son. God believes in you. God believes that you will do what he wants you to do eventually. And God's patient with us, isn't he? He's long-suffering with us. But I really believe that God is asking and appealing to us 
that now is the time to become a disciple. And to actually believe the word of God and believe what God says and not continue to live under the circumstances. And it takes a decision of the will and your emotions will follow. It takes a decision of my will and my emotions will follow. You know, when I talk about decreeing and blab it and grab it, I'm not talking about selfishness. Here's an example of selfishness. I decree it and declare it. I decree and declare a lot of hot air. And I wonder why God doesn't answer my prayer. I have asked him for riches. He must surely agree that he ought now to do what is best now for me. In my infinite wisdom, I've decided it's best for me to be comfortable, healthy, and blessed. But despite my best efforts, I just can't quite see why God won't accept it's the best now for me. So I think it is best now if all understood that if I were in charge, everything would be good. So I hope you are listening. You must hear my tone. I decree and declare that I sit on God's throne. We're not talking about that kind of stuff. We're talking about the people of God getting hold of God's heart and decreeing what he wants to decree and naming and claiming what he wants to name and claim and blab and grab what he wants to blab and grab. That includes, I believe, the church to come to health and the church to come to wealth, not to hoard it for ourselves, but to give it away. But the motivation is what does God want, not what we want. Amen? You know what? But the amazing thing is God wants us to be blessed. All right, first scripture, you ready? Romans 5, Matthew 6, sorry, verse 33. Matthew 6, I'm going to go to Romans in a minute. Matthew 6, verse 33. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all things will be added to you. Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. We know the scripture well, and when we're familiar with this scripture, we can quote it, we can shout it, we can pray it, but we don't really understand it sometimes. So here's what Jesus was saying. He was saying, before anything else in your life, If you want to be a disciple, seek after his kingdom. What does that mean? Seek after the way God does things. How God operates. If you want to be a disciple, seek how God operates. If I want to be a disciple, I've got to seek first how God operates. And his righteousness. His righteousness is who he is. He is righteous. It's his identity. So Jesus is saying, if you want to be a disciple, here's what you really do. Not a church attendant, not somebody who goes to church because they have a nice coffee, but if somebody who really wants to be a disciple of Jesus, to seek first the way God operates and who God is, his identity. Why does Jesus want us to do that? Because God wants us to take on the identity and live in it and to do what God does. You with me so far? Next scripture. Matthew chapter 6, verse 9 and 10. This was a response. It's part of the Lord's Prayer. And it was a response to his disciples. They said, teach us how to pray. He did, the disciples didn't say, teach us how to preach. Teach us how to heal. Teach us how to read the Old Testament better. They didn't say, teach us how to lay hands on the sick. He, they just observed him doing all that. Teach us how to tithe. They observed Jesus tithing. They observed, observed Jesus going regularly to the synagogue. They observed those things about Jesus. But they asked him, teach us how to pray. What were they asking? They were asking us, teach us how to commune with God so we can be like the one we commune with. And part of that prayer was this, our Father, which talks of intimacy. Hallowed be your name. 
Hallowed means set apart, be your identity. That's a big statement because it's saying not only are we to hallow the name of God, but we're also to hallow the identity of God in you and me. Can I also suggest in every human being as well, God's placed eternity in their hearts. So if we are disciples of Jesus, we see, listen to this, we see everybody as sacred. A sacred human being, a sacred life. That really affects how we speak and how we talk, doesn't it? And we're all challenged by that, I know. I'm challenged as much by this word as you are. Amen? You're, listen to this, there's a decree. So he's taught, he said, teach us how to pray. The disciples said, teach us how to pray. And what does he do? He says, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So he's teaching them how to prophetically decree, how to declare heaven to earth, isn't he? What, what's happened to prayer? Oh, dear Lord Jesus. Oh, Lord, in, in your sovereignty, if you decide to smite us, we'll be smoten. What's all this garbage we pray? Decree heaven to earth. That's what we're here for. Next scripture. There we go, Romans 5. There we go. Forgive me, it wasn't first, it's third. But if because of one man's, one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more surely will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign, the Amplified Bible says, as kings in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. This is the will of God, that God would take hold of people by his grace and they would reign as kings in life. Kings don't ask for stuff, they decree stuff. They don't ask for stuff, they decree stuff. And what do they decree? They decree the will. Okay? That's why we need to line our will up with God's will. Where do we find God's will? In the Word, in the Scripture. If we don't know the Scripture, we haven't got a clue what God's will is, and we'll decree stuff and nothing will happen. We need to know the Word of God. Do I need to know the ins and outs of Leviticus? No. I'm going to show you what you specifically need to know in order to decree. Okay? So, let's just give a definition of decree to start with. Here we go. A decree is, is, is the Holy Spirit leading us to speak God's word that will cause heaven to back up what we say. Let me say that again. A decree is the Holy Spirit leading us to speak God's word that will cause heaven to back up what we say. God doesn't want us to pray and read the Bible so we can go, oh, aren't they a good Christian? Oh, it's lovely when they read the Bible. Oh, it's lovely when they pray. God's not like that. He wants us to be in the word. He wants us to be in prayer and commune with him so we can start to get the job done. Because this world needs the church to get its act together and get the job done. And we are part of the church. We can't opt out of that. Oh, I'll go on a sabbatical for 55 months because I'm not part of the church. No, you're part of the body of Christ. We've got, you know, we will, we will give an account to the Lord. So, what, what is a kingdom decree? Well, Jesus talks about a decree. He talks about kingdom decrees and how to operate in the kingdom in the Gospels. 
I'm just going to quickly go through a couple of scriptures on this because it's just the kind of introduction to what I, I really want to say. Mark chapter 4, verse 26 to 27, 30 to 32. The kingdom of God is like a, someone who sows seed into the ground, a farmer who sows seed into the ground. You with me? Mark 4, 14 says the sower sows the word. So that seed is the word of God, what God says. Next one, the seed is the word of God. We've, we've highlighted that. Now listen to this. Hopefully it will come up. No word of God equals no seed to sow. No promises, no revelation, no prophecy equals nothing to sow. If we haven't put the promises of God in our heart, if we haven't put the prophecies over our life in our heart, if we haven't put revelation that God has given us in His word in our heart, we have nothing to sow and what will come out of our mouth will be the same old rubbish. We need to put the promises of God in our heart. What has God said? What has God promised? Not just to us, but to the whole world. Amen? All right. Go with me to 2 Peter chapter 1, please. 2 Peter chapter 1. I'm doing a teach this morning, not a preach, and I I believe you'll stay with me on it. 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. Verse 1. It's on the screen for you as well. Simon Peter, a servant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours. Let's just pause there a minute. The same faith that Peter had, the same faith that John had, the same faith that caused Peter to move in wonderful miracle, the same faith that caused Paul to move, to distinguish in his ministry between miracle and extraordinary miracle, what does it say? We have equal standing of faith. Every one of us. Paul puts it this way in Romans 12. You've been given the measure of faith. Your faith is not second rate compared to somebody else's. Amen? It's so important we understand that. You're not a second-class citizen in the kingdom of God. You're a first-class citizen. You get on the Holy Ghost train and they feed you a nice lunch because you're a first-class citizen. Amen? To those who have obtained a faith of equal standing with ours by the righteousness of God and our Savior Jesus Christ, may grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. How is grace, that's heaven's favor, and peace, prosperity and wholeness, how is that going to be multiplied to us so we can give it away? How is it going to happen? Through what or in what? According to that scripture. No. In the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. Well, the word knowledge there doesn't mean head knowledge, Jeff. It means perception. Well, if I'm looking at stuff, that's creating an image on the inside of me. So it's creating a knowledge, it's creating an image that I live by. And actually, if you look at that word in the Greek, it means, it means intimacy, it means union, it means knowledge of somebody, but it can also mean knowledge. To be academic or to pass exams 
is the ability to repeat knowledge without it not affecting your life at all. But to be a disciple of Jesus is to put knowledge in your heart, knowledge of the word in your heart, and let it change your life and those around you. There's a big difference. Well, I don't read the Bible because I'm not academic. Yes, you're not academic, but you can read the Bible. May grace and peace, God wants to multiply it to us, but it's only received through the knowledge of God and Jesus Christ. Listen to this. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How? What's the next one? Through the knowledge. If we decide we're not interested in learning about God, in experiencing God more, in His presence, in being more intimate with God, if we think the Bible is irrelevant to our lives and being in worship is irrelevant to our lives and being in part of the church is irrelevant to our lives, then we're not going to move in His divine power. We're not going to have grace and peace multiplied to us and God wants that so much for us. Because it can transform not only you, but the whole world. His divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. God-likeness, that word is. God-likeness. Through the knowledge of Him who has called you to His own glory and excellence. God has called me and you to His own glory and excellence. Stop being a religious fuddy-duddy. I'm saying it to myself as well. And get with the program. Oh, it's not about me. Oh, for goodness sake. You know, sometimes I think if God wasn't more patient, he'd slap me in you, wouldn't he? (laughs) Glory and excellence he's called us to. Glory and excellence. Not religion and victimization. Glory and excellence. Now listen to this. Who has called us to his own glory and excellence by which he has granted to us his precious and very great promises so that through What? Through what? Through them, through the great and precious promises, we may become partakers of the divine nature. If we don't know his promises and put them in our heart, we're not going to be partaking of the spiritual inheritance he has for us. God wants that for us so much. You know, right now, if you're uncomfortable, if you think he's going on, this can change your life more than a lottery win. Have you noticed so many lottery winners? They just lose it after about six months and lose a lot more as well. Money ain't the answer. The answer is right what I'm speaking right now. That's the answer. Amen. Another scripture. Hebrews chapter 2. This is the long one. Ready to gasp in amazement of the text. Here we go. Hebrews chapter 2, verses 1 to 16. Some good gas there. Thank you. Let's read it together. Therefore, we must pay much closer attention to what we have heard, lest we drift away. Wow. If we... I had a lovely steak about a month ago. I, made, I went to Aldi and got that. I thought we'd have a treat. Saturday night, me and my wife would have a treat. Went to Aldi. Didn't just, didn't just buy their, their normal steak. I bought the Aberdeen Angus steak. Yeah, exactly. There you go. 
It was, it was, it was lovely. I didn't feel guilty. I didn't feel like I should be buying, you know, a, a steak burger instead. I bought the steak. And, and we, we, had that, we enjoyed that steak. And I can remember, I'm, I'm getting, I, some of us, we're on that steak right now, don't we? I'm feeling that way as well. But that memory of the steak is wonderful, but he ain't going to sustain me for the last month. I'm a big fellow, no. It's, I need more than one steak. But my point is this. When we read the word last, last month, that ain't going to sustain us spiritually. Every day. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. God wants to speak to us every day. And not just through the Bible. He just wants to speak to us all the time. He loves us. He wants to communicate with us, to us. And if we don't pay close attention to him, we can end up drifting away from it. And you see it so often. As a pastor, you see it so often. Somebody gets excited about God. They get on fire. They dance around the church meeting. They sing louder than everybody else. They do cartwheels. They want time with you. And they say, I'll never leave. I'll never leave. And then slowly they go to the back of the room and sit at the back. And then they've got the issue. And you don't see them very much. You can't get hold of them by the phone call. And then they drift away. It's sad, isn't it? But unless we make a decision as individuals, I'm not responsible for the decisions you make. You're not responsible for the decisions I make. You're responsible for the decisions you make, and I'm responsible for the decisions I make. Pay close attention to what you've heard, because drifting away is just a lot of rubbish. Here we go, carry on. For since the message declared by angels proved to be reliable, and every transgression or obedience received a just retribution, how shall we escape if we neglect such a great salvation? Now that sounds like a fearful thing. But when the Hebrew letter was written, it wasn't written in chapters. And in the last verse of chapter 1, it says, Are they not all ministering spirits sent out to serve for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? So the great salvation not to be neglected is the ministry of angels with you and me. Do you understand? It's not saying, oh God, you know, I'm going to have a worse end to those people in the Old Testament that got swallowed up in the ground if I neglect this salvation. It's not a fear thing. It's saying, look, I've provided ministering spirits to serve you in the call of being a king in the earth. Take up the call and let them serve you. How do they serve you? We haven't got it written up there, but it's just in my spirit, so I'll bring it out. Psalm 103, I forget which verse it is, but it says that the angels hearken or listen to the, word, the voice of God or the word of God. If you've got no word of God in your heart, no word of God coming out of your mouth, your angels are redundant. They've gone to Hawaii on holiday with a Calypso shirt, drinking some nice non-alcoholic beverage which really they don't want to be doing because they're designed and created to serve you and me. But if our words don't line up with the word of God, they can't minister on our behalf. And we neglect that great salvation. Are you with me on that? This salvation was first declared uh, first by the Lord and was attested to us by those who heard, while God also bore witness by signs, wonders, and various miracles, by gifts of the Holy Spirit, distributed according to his will. For it was not to angels that God subjected the world to come, of which we are speaking. 
it has been testified somewhere, what is man that you are mindful of him, or the son of God, man that you care for him? You made him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned him with glory and honor, putting everything in subjection under his feet. Now in putting everything in subjection to him, he left nothing outside of his what? At present, we do not yet see everything so in subjection to him. Who is him? No. In this scripture, it's not Jesus. It's you and me, man. Because there's another scripture that says Jesus, everything's subject to Jesus, and that scripture is 1 Corinthians 15, 27, if you're taking notes. This is really important. This scripture says that God has put everything under man's feet. 1 Corinthians 15, 27 says everything's under Jesus' feet. Guess what? What's the point God making? Is God contradicting himself in the scripture? Oh, there's so many contradictions in the Bible. No, there's none, actually. Just that you don't get it. That's what the academic says. So many contradictions in the Bible. You just don't get what God's trying to say. Why is on one scripture everything under Jesus' feet, and on the other scripture everything under man's feet? Because man and Jesus are one. That's the way God sees it. He's reconciled man to himself. Think about it this way. You are the body of Christ. There's no division between you and Jesus. I am in him and he is in me. And we are in each other. That's the church. Absolutely. And it was a decree. And as far as he's concerned, it's done. We just need to live in the good of it. Have you noticed the reality of the scripture? It's under man's feet, but we do not yet see everything under his feet. We do not see everything under his feet. It's no good going around saying God is in control because it opts you out of actually standing up and taking authority. Total opt out. Opt out of prayer, opt out of decree, opt out of responsibility, opt out of inheritance. Oh, well, God is in control. I don't have to do anything. God is in control. I don't have to go to church. God is in control. I can watch TV. God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. God is in control. Strictly come dancing dance. Doesn't mean it's right, no matter how we embellish it. You mean to say God is not in control? Turn the TV on. It's about time that God was allowed to be in control because God is love. He won't force himself on this world. But as the church rises to its place, what will happen is that there'll be less war. This is prophesied in the Old Testament, by the way, by two prophets, that people will turn from war and take up peace. It's called the restoration. And God wants to work in partnership. What, what, what another big revelation about Christmas. The way God works. We're seeking the way God works. He always works in partnership with human beings. Imagine if the angel came to Mary and she said, well, it's okay, you don't need to use my womb. And I'm a bit busy lately, Jesus. A bit busy lately, Gabriel. I won't be around for the next five weeks. So if you want to impregnate me with the Holy Spirit, you'll have to come on my agenda. Thank you very much. And by the way, God is in control, so it'll all work out in the end. You see, some of these doctrines sap us of our passion and our obedience to the Lord. But what's the next verse say? We do not see everything under man's feet, but we see him, Jesus, 
an example of, uh, of a human being, fully God and fully man, who reigned and ruled, who healed the sick, raised the dead, who said, the devil has nothing on me. And we see him because as we see him, we're going to be transformed to be more like him. Amen? Now, why am I saying all that? I'm saying all that to say that in this decreeing, in this battle of decreeing heaven to earth, the enemy does not want you to know what I'm saying to you today. He doesn't want you to take up what I'm saying to you today. He wants you to rest on misinterpretations of scripture like Psalm 24 verse 1. The earth is the Lord's, the fullness of thereof, and all the people therein. There we go, God's in control. In that same psalm, it says the Lord does battle. If the Lord is absolutely in control of everything, why does he have to do battle? The same psalm. The earth belongs to the Lord. Absolutely it does. He created every person belongs to him. But they're under an evil taskmaster called Satan. And the church is here to rescue them. I like going to church occasionally. They've got nice carpet in there. They're painting the walls red. Gonna have a coffee shop. Things are going okay. Few people have left. But okay, it's okay to go occasionally. And if they say something to offend me, I'll leave anyway. No, that's so much small living compared to what God has called you to. He's called you to be a king. You can accomplish more in the prayer room with God than you can accomplish in 20 years. I'm not looking for bums on seats. I'm looking for disciples who are completely running for everything that God has for them. This system, this, is, this world system is evil. It's unworthy. It's, it does things to... God, God loves every human being and sees them as sacred. And how does this world system mar humanity? Not only humanity, but all of creation. And God is saying, church, wake up to who you are and take your place. And don't let people say, well, what are you doing all this? Pray, should we do more social mission? Should we do more social outreach? Can I say to you, Martha was very good at social outreach and very, very good at all that stuff. And Jesus said to him, you should be doing what Mary does and sit at my feet. Because sometimes in our social outreach and our interaction and the gospel we're giving out there is actually not actually the gospel God wants to be given out there. And sometimes we're discipling people on what we know, but actually what we know needs adjustment. And it needs adjustment according to the word of God. We need to take back control and kick out some squatters from our thinking from our emotions, from our behavior, from our church community, from our, certainly from our town and from our nation. To stand for what God says and stand for who we are. Satan's strategy is to question what I'm saying today. To question God's identity in you. To question God's ability in you. He did it with Jesus in the wilderness, didn't he? If you are the son of God. That's how the devil speaks, by the way. If you are the Son of God, questioning his identity. 
There was a bully at my school, at primary school. I'll name him, not to shame him. I'll just name his first name. His first name was Leighton. You know, Leighton, strong name, bully name, Leighton. And everybody was scared of Leighton. And he used to beat people up. And he was, he was a big lad, much bigger than I was at the time, if you believe I was little at one time. And uh, <clears throat> he was probably about a year older than I was. And I'd just moved into this new school. My mum and dad got divorced, and I moved to a, a, from a nice part of Bolton, if you can imagine such a thing, to a not-so-nice part of Bolton. I went to this school, <clears throat> and um, basically, this, this bully was already active. It was this domain, you know. And uh, <clears throat> this bully, Leighton, he had a list. And on this list, after he'd beaten somebody up, he put their name on that list. I can beat you up, and his name was there. The name of the person was there. He had a list of about seven or eight people he beat up. Then he got a bit cocky and started to put other people's names on that he thought he could beat up, but he'd not beaten up. <laughs> he had this list, carried this list around in crayon. <clears throat> and this boy came up to him one day. He said, I've heard that my name's on this list. Leighton said, Yes, it is. And this boy said, you can't beat me up. And Leighton said, okay, I'll take your name off the list. <laughs> and he did. Took his name off the list. You know what happened? When a lot of us heard that rumor through the playground, it gave us such courage. And one time, playing football with Leighton, he said something insulting to me, so I shoulder-barged him off the side of the playground into snow and ice. I know it was wrong, but it felt so good at the time. <laughs> but it had given me such confidence. Because this boy had the courage to go up to him and say, you can't beat me up. And he took his name off the list. The devil has put our names on a list for too long. Because we've been listening to the wrong stuff, caught up in religion, caught up in wrong doctrine. We've been listening to stuff and saying stuff that makes him think, we can bully us and we're on his list. You go up to him and you say, get my name off that list. And you know what he'll do? He'll go, Egh! and then he'll go, okay, I'll take your name off the list. <laughs> because he's a bully. Yeah. He tried to bully Jesus. He tried to question Jesus' mission. He tried to question his position and his identity. You see it in, this, in, the, in the wilderness. What was he doing? Questioning his identity and protection. Questioning, well, God will provide for him. Questioning his position. Questioning everything about Jesus. That's what the enemy does. Did Remember the first thing he says, we hear him say? Did God really say that? Well, I don't really know what God says, so how can I know if he really said it? Well, we've got to know what God says. So his, his strategy is to question our identity, question our protection, question our position and our provision. He'll put circumstances in our path that will question whether God is for us. But the word says God is for us. Regardless of the circumstances. doesn't change the promise of God that he's for you. Believe that and the circumstances will change. Your name will come off the bullies list and you'll come into life. Hallelujah. Hosea 4 verse 6, I think it is. I think I've got it written down here. may not do. Yeah, it says, My people are destroyed... For lack of knowledge. Well, again, you can say that means revelation or vision. 
It's all the same thing. I see because I see what God sees in the Word. God doesn't want us to be destroyed and perishing. Jesus came so we could have life, not so we could perish. Amen? And it's time, no matter what age we are, no matter what victories and defeats we've had, if we take hold of this word humbly today, I really believe things can change for us. And I'm saying that for me too. Amen? Job 22, verse 28. You will decide or decree on a matter, and it will be established for you, and light will shine on your ways. Isn't that beautiful promise? This, the, God put this stuff, he peppered it all the way through the Bible, these promises, so that we could actually believe and take hold of them. Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 12. Then the Lord said to me, you have seen well, for I am watching over my word to perform it. God wants you to speak his word. And then it, it not just brings the ministry of the angels to work on it, but all of heaven will back it. Amen? If you, if you love the doctrine of God being in control, this is how to make it happen. Because God is sovereign in his word. It's no good just the saying God is in control and not learning this stuff. You want God to really get in control and God to move heaven and earth to see something happen, start to proclaim his word and put his promises in your heart. Amen? Next scripture. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word that goes forth out of my mouth, it shall not return to me empty, but shall accomplish that for which I purpose, and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. This is the way God operates, and he wants you and me to operate the same, exactly the same way. This is our spiritual inheritance. It's so important. Next scripture. Thus says the Lord, your Redeemer, Isaiah 44, 24, 26, who formed you in the womb. I am the Lord, who made all things, who alone stretched out the heavens, who spread out the earth by myself, who frustrates the signs of liars, the devil, and makes fools of diviners, who turns wise men back and makes their knowledge foolish. Listen to this. (coughs) Who confirms the word of his servant and fulfills the counsel of his messengers. Are you a servant of the Lord? What does it say? Confirms the word of his servants. He wants you to put his word in your heart and in your mouth and start to believe that what you say, what did Jesus say? What believe what you say can come to pass. Mark eleven twenty three, I think it is. Twenty two. Next one, listen to this. Isaiah, this is New King James Version, Isaiah 45, 11. Thus says the Lord, the Holy One of Israel and His Maker, ask me of the things to come concerning my sons and concerning the works of my hands, you command me. Oh, this is getting heretical. I've just read from the Bible. Now, oh, well, let's look at the context academically. Okay, let's do that. The context of this scripture is God saying, I want to rescue people Restore people and build my city. 
if you and I start to put that in our heart and speak it out of our mouths, that we want to see the full restoration of God in our lives, the full promises of God in our lives, people around us in our world, to build God's city, he will act on our word. We'll close with this with two scriptures. Here's one. This is a scripture from the book of Micah. It's a prophecy about where Messiah would be born. I thought I'd shove a little bit of Christmas into this message. <clears throat> this is a beautiful prophecy. Hundreds of years before it happened. You see, sometimes when we decree, it ain't going to happen straight away. But we've got to continue to decree, and it will happen. Micah prophesied. And Jesus eventually showed up in the physical realm, didn't he? But think about this. There's, a specific, there's some specifics to this. It's saying that the one who will be born in Bethlehem is the Ancient of Days. Who's that? God. It's a name attributed to God in the book of Daniel. So it's talking about Jesus. Have you noticed it's got old Bethlehem, Ephratha? At this time, in, the, in this area, in the Middle East, there was more than one Bethlehems. Just like there's more than one Manchester's. There's Manchester, New Hampshire in America, and there's Manchester, Lancashire, sorry to mention it, Lancashire, uh, uh, Greater Manchester. They call it Greater Manchester, it's Lancashire. So Manchester, there's more than one Manchester. Bethlehem at this time, there was more than one Bethlehem. So the decree was specific enough to say which Bethlehem it was out of the three that were around in the Middle East at the time. Isn't that amazing? We need to be specific with the promises, not just general. Oh, I decree that God will bless me. How? How does he want to bless you? Look at the promises. I decree that this, this, this town would be one for Jesus. How? Look at the promises. Do you see what I'm getting at? We've got to be specific with decree. Now, <clears throat> let's look at the fulfillment of this to close. In the book of Luke, I think it is. <clears throat> Luke chapter 2. In those days, a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. This was the first registration when Quirinius was governor of Syria. And all went to be registered, each to his own town. And Joseph also went up from Galilee, from the town of Nazareth to Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and lineage of David. To be registered with Mary, his betrothed, he was with, she was with child. And while they were there, the time came for her to give birth. And she gave birth to her first son and wrapped him in swaddling clothes and laid him in a manger because there was no place for them in the inn. So, the decree had gone out that he would be born in Bethlehem. What happened to make that happen? A man on the earth called Micah decreed God's heart then God got involved in that decree and a, a, a young girl called Mary had to be impregnated by the Holy Spirit on time. A boy called Joseph had to not abandon her. They had to be in Bethlehem to pay the taxes at a certain time and they had to be in that particular Bethlehem so it had to be that particular Joseph and that particular Caesar at a particular moment had to decree that they should move to that town to pay their taxes. 
If he decreed six weeks earlier or six months earlier, this would have never happened. What's it saying to you? That God will move heaven and earth to back up what you decree when it's according to his will. The whole of the Christmas story should indicate that to us. The power of the words that we speak. The power of the word of God. The Bible is not a dead book. It is a, the scripture and it is holy and it is living and active. Absolutely, it covers everything. If Mary and Joseph had got there earlier, paid their taxes, stayed in the Sheraton or the Holiday Inn, if they'd done all that, if Caesar Augustus had decided a different way, if you notice that God, because of the power of the word decreed by a man, was able to even turn the heart of a king. But the missing ingredient, we believe that God can turn the heart of a king. We believe that God can do anything. But the missing ingredient to, a, to, forgive me for saying it, but to allow God to be God in the earth is us decreeing it. Are you with me? Forgive me, there was one last scripture. Matthew 12, go there. Everything in this world, listen to this as you're turning. Everything in this world order, everything in this evil world order has to adjust to what you and I say. This invisible world takes what we say as a command or a mandate. Let me give you an example. I don't like that person very much. Then the spirit world goes into activation. Oh, one of the kings doesn't like that person very much. And that person ends up having a hard time in their circumstances. It's called a curse. They're just cursed. Oh, I don't like that church. It's, you know, a terrible place. Why? Because you don't realize that even if you, even if you don't get the revelation of it, what you say is a mandate. It lets something operate, either the Spirit of God or something a lot worse. A lot less powerful, but a lot worse. We need to understand the power of words. Now, Jesus highlighted this in, in his own teaching. Very much in his own teaching. In Matthew chapter 12. Talked about idle words, careless words. Words with no kingdom assignment. In his pastoral uh, preach, he says, You brood of vipers. Not very pastoral, I understand that. But that's what he said to them. You brood of vipers, how can you speak good when you are evil? For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now listen to him describing a good person. The good person out of his good treasure brings forth good. And the evil person out of the evil treasure brings forth evil. I tell you, on the day of judgment, people will give account for every careless. And that word careless there in the Greek is linked to the word evil there in the same passage word they speak for by your words you'll be justified by your words you'll be condemned every single day you're either justified by your words or you're condemned by the words that come out of your mouth it's me too now listen to this you are a good person oh no I'm not yes you are 
with a pantomime going this morning. <laughs> you are a good person because God calls you good. The scripture says don't ever call what is, what is, is, is what God has cleansed, don't ever call it defamed. What God has called good, don't ever call it bad. And the word good there, if you look in the Greek, is linked with the word, English word, we can, we can use this in the same context, worthy. Worthiness. So the worthy person, if you know you're worthy, if you know your position and your identity, you'll put worthy stuff in your heart. You won't fill your heart with garbage. You won't fill your heart with horror movies. You won't fill your heart with the negativity that other people speak on you. You won't fill your heart reliving the abuse uh, that, that happened. You won't continue to go back to that all the time. But you'll start to let that stuff be flushed out by speaking what God says into your heart. Good treasure. And then what will happen? The overflow. You won't have anybody have to say, speak the right things. Because as that's in there, the overflow, it will start to come out. It will start to come out. I'll tell you this, brothers and sisters. I know, I discern when I need to get more time with God. Not by an angel coming and river dancing on my duvet. You need to get more time with God, Jeff. <laughs> no, it doesn't happen. What happens is this. I'm speaking stuff I know I shouldn't be speaking. So when that happens, I ask God to forgive me. And I know that I've got to spend more time with him. Simple as that. You are good. You can speak good things. Glorious things. Stand with me, would you? If anybody wants the notes from today, I'm more than happy to email the notes. I've got a copy here if anybody wants to take them. But I would say this needs more time than one Sunday morning, and we'll be looking at it again. And it's stuff we may know of, but it's stuff that needs to go in our hearts. Look at those scriptures about decreeing. Look at what God says. Imagine the scenario. Instead of imagining negative scenarios in your life, imagine what it would be like if when God... Puts, when we put that word in our heart, God backs up what we say. Imagine that. And you know what? The Bible's full of examples of God doing that. A man called Moses, who didn't really think a great deal of himself. In fact, he called himself the most humble man on the face of the earth. But God backed him. And he delivered three million people. He thought he was washed up. He was a murderer. He'd grown up in Egypt, the height of the evil world system. Yet God had chosen him. God used him to deliver three million people. An ordinary shepherd in his 80s. Don't write yourself off. You can start now doing what I've been saying today. Regardless of your situation, your age, your background, let, let the devil stop lying to you. You go to him and say, get my name, get my identity off your list. I am nothing to do with you. Yeah. Yeah. It is written. We're going to sing about God and we're going to sing about who we are in God as part of our worship to close today. Let's just take a moment, close our eyes and we'll pray together before we sing. And let's have the children come back as well. Thank you so much.
Father, we just thank you for all that you've said to us this morning. And Father, we do want to be those that not only listen to the word, but start to operate in it. So Father, I ask that we would put this into our heart. And Father, we would see change as a result into our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you, Father.